There it is, wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening. We're so glad you've chosen to tune into DLC, especially if you're using our podcast to power you through a workout. If you're one of our geeks in sneaks, or maybe you're sitting in traffic, unhappy, we're going to try to brighten your day with 90-plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week, delivered the way we love it to be, which is completely free thanks to our sponsors this week, Casper. And Cashfly. They made that possible, bringing the show to you. Uh, DLC, of course, the show all about games in their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis, the guy who's been saying, Puppy Monkey Baby, for the past 12 hours, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello. I wouldn't be surprised if I've been saying that. I came home from North Carolina, good weekend of shows, came home uh, over three flights and layovers and whatever annoying stuff to one kid with an ear infection, another kid with a fever, my parents coming to town, a mediocre Super Bowl. So I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, that is a, sounds like a case of Puppy Monkey Baby right there. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I thought it was a very fun Super Bowl. I mean, if you like defense, and I do. I thought If you was, like punting. Well, you know, defense, defense wins championships, Christian. Um, so we're going to employ some defense right now on the show uh, to win the championship of your hearts, ladies and gentlemen. Ah. <sighs> Because you know the DLC uh, is always your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. Oh, but this week we're excited because once again, DLC stands for Discover You Like Chores. Because returning to the show, we have the founder of Chore Monster, our buddy, Chris Bergman. Welcome back, man. Hello, gentlemen. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Uh, Been too long since we had you on. How are things with you? Oh, things are wonderful. I was actually in North Carolina at the same time that Christian was, but didn't realize it and um, uh, until it was too late. So I, I missed his show. And now I'm in Glendale, California, not too far from either of you guys, uh, yeah. enjoying the beautiful weather, which is much better than Cincinnati's weather. Yeah, it got, it got, uh, it got real warm real quick here. It was cold for a while. Um, the last time you were on, Chris, you were very excited because your, your Bengals had started undefeated. <sighs> Yeah, so, they did. At the end of the season, yeah. bad things. <laughs> that uh, that uh, <laughs> we're still not uh, able to talk about the Bengals Steelers game. It was a uh, quite a rough rough night, rough evening for myself and my wife. Well, the, it's it's not their fault, you know. the The football gods smote the quarterback for some reason, and this was an unlucky season. But next year, next year's a new year. There we go. Uh, and uh, let's uh, let's jump right in. We're not going to talk sports. We're going to talk uh, gaming, and we got lots of fun stuff to talk about this week, including some great games. I got to play Firewatch. Uh, you guys are playing XCOM. Uh, we will talk more about that in the playlist, but we'll start the show the way we normally do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories using our hashtag, that is DLCSOTW, or by visiting our subreddit, which is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. And we also love comments and suggestions sent over to our Gmail account, which is DLCfeedback at gmail.com. Chris, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. So what is your Story of the Week? 
Um, yeah, so my story of the week is actually something that happened to me last week at the at the tail end of last week, which was a surprise. And that was that XCOM 2 only supports the Steam controller as a gamepad. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they initially decided to go this route to test out uh, Steam controller cat- compatibility just on the whole. Um, I own a Steam controller. I also own the Steam Link. I, I purchased the Steam Link really only about three or four weeks ago, and it is completely changed the way that I game. Um, really? Yeah, I, I, I've totally offloaded most of the games that I was playing on consoles onto my PC. What tended to happen is I'd buy a game for a PC, end up not playing it because I'm never sitting in front of that particular desktop, and rebuy it on uh, on PS4. This happened specifically with The Witcher 3. And um, and now I'm going back to only PC because I'm able, the Steam Link works so well uh, through Wi-Fi, by the way. Uh, streams so incredibly well that I, I want to play everything on PC again. Um, wow. So I purchased the Link and the Steam Controller at the same time, tried out the Steam Controller on a few games, um, including the Division beta that happened recently, uh, was really disappointed in it. I don't know if you guys own it or not, but it, it's it's not a controller that I enjoy. Um, you were specifically disappointed in the controller. Yes, correct, correct. And that is and that is because the the touchpad, the thumb touchpad, is not what you hope it to be, or is it just sort of too different from what you're used to? Um, I mean, I for me, I you know, the touchpad as a trackpad, as an actual uh, mouse input, is incredible. I love that. But when you're sitting down and you want to be able to, um, I think like part of it is the thumbsticks in a really weird spot. Like it, you have the D-pad uh, on the top left uh, that also is a trackpad on the on the left side, um, and then the thumbsticks below that, and it's it's just a little bit too low, right? And and uh, sticks out a little bit too much. Um, not only that, but the buttons below on the on the below the right trackpad. Uh, tend to be in that same weird spot where, where you have to, and I have like super long fingers. Like I have, I have weirdly shaped uh, alien hands. And so. Puppy monkey baby. Exactly. Precisely. And <laughs> um, for me, it should be very easy to, to, to reach my thumb down that far. And it, it's, it's a, a really uncomfortable place. And, and the buttons are extremely small as well and, and close together. Um, I don't know if you guys have had that situation or not, but. So regardless, I was like, okay, so XCOM 2 is going to be the game that I force myself to use the Steam controller uh, because this is supposed to be, you know, the the best uh, instance of the controller being used for a PC game. I I made it about 10 minutes in. Um, it's, uh, It's sort of the same situation where the controller just, there's so many things happening on the screen. You have to jump back and forth between the the keyboard and the controller that it didn't make a lot of sense and I just went directly to a mouse. Well, to be fair, I, I really wouldn't think of XCOM as a controller game. So you know, I, I wouldn't wanna Did you play I the first like, one with a controller? No, I played it with oh, yeah. uh, a mouse and keyboard and then I played it on the touch screen. And I think it works really well as a touch screen game. Um, but I, I feel like, you know, it's it, Turn-based, uh, over-the-top grid. You want to click on things. It feels less like I want to use a controller, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean the the first XCOM I played exclusively with a controller, and it played extremely well um, for me, at least. the The real reason that I brought this up as a story of the week is it it brings this question of you know are PC games going to continue to support only is is this an exclusivity issue where PC yeah. games are only going to support the Steam controller to push this particular piece of hardware? 
and then design, you know, solely for mouse and keyboard otherwise. I'll be honest, I haven't had very much hands-on time with the Steam controller at all, only at a couple of events, and I really didn't get enough you know, a sense of of whether I would like it or not. But it certainly isn't something that I ran out to buy because it just didn't feel like um, a big enough jump or a different enough experience to justify, you know, wanting it. Christian, what's your feeling on the Steam controller? Are you are you anti or are you pro? I haven't spent a lot of time with it. The most time I've spent with it is at, you know, hands-on demos. I don't own one. I love that they tried to do something new, but I feel like it doesn't solve a problem. It, it, it seems like we're going to make it so you can, you know, big picture mode, Steam console, all this stuff. We have a controller so you can play XCOM or even games harder than that. You know, I know there has been Civ on consoles and they've streamlined the controls, but it isn't mouse and keyboard and it's not what we're all used to with the controller. So it's this weird hybrid thing that doesn't seem to solve a problem and i'm sure that if you spend enough time forcing yourself to get used to this controller it will feel good but i don't know why you would do that yet well chris is confirming that i think yeah and to chris's point like it it feels like it's not different enough that it should exclude you know actual gamepad support you know it's not like this is so different that we we decided to support this gamepad and not any others because they're just wildly different. It does feel like a purposeful exclusivity to try to, uh, you know, shoehorn people into using that controller if they want to use a controller. So it, it does feel a little forced, uh, and that and that is cause for a little concern. I don't think this is going to be anything we're going to see widespread. Uh, you know, forcing people to only use this Steam controller, but it is this is a pretty high profile game, so I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, to, well, to give it its, its credit, I do actually use it for big picture mode. Um, or if I'm navigating my desktop, my, my normal Windows desktop uh, from my couch on the Steam Link, it works incredibly well. Um, as Again, as like a normal just mouse trackpad to be able to, you know, put a controller in my hands and then use a mouse with my thumb uh, is, is a wonderful experience. But literally that experience lasts maybe a minute and a half as I'm, I'm launching steam or launching into a game or, or what have you, but it does stay plugged in on my couch solely to drive steam link as, as an operating system sort of controller. Interesting. I'd love to hear what listeners have to say. You can always email us uh, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Uh, maybe there's other people who have different experience with steam controller, but it certainly doesn't seem to be catching on at least anecdotally uh, from what I, when I've been hearing uh, Christian, what's your story of the week? In the no kidding confirmation department, well, optimistically no kidding confirmation department, Titanfall 2 single player is confirmed in an article with Forbes, the game's lead writer, which is also, I think, a good thing where a game with a single player has a a lead writer. (laughs) Yeah, we have single player. Who's confirming that? I'm the head of multiplayer development. Oh, dang (laughs) it. But they're also looking into, Respawn Entertainment is looking into a companion TV series. Of course they are because all the monies. And uh, it will launch sometime before March 2017, and it will not be exclusive to the Xbox One, which we had kind of heard before, but this is, you know, more, more confirmation to that fire. I guess, of course, could always change if, you know, someone backs up a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of money. But it seems like, you know, Respawn is a developer that I think has a lot of talent and they did a lot of cool things with Titanfall 1. And 
all I think to me, all signs are pointing towards Titanfall two being potentially pretty awesome. I know that the hype train yeah. is far out on this one, but uh I want more of that world. Chris, did you spend time in, in a mech while running and dying and killing stuff? I did for a grand total of about a week. I mean, Titanfall came on really strong. Uh, I really enjoyed it for that very first week that it was there. I bought the collector's edition, and I still have sort of that giant um, mech. It's the only statue of collector's editions that I've ever kept. I, I tend to give those away because I buy them for the art books. Uh, but that that huge mech statue is one of the, the best pieces of, of resin I have in my house. Oh, I thought maybe you were keeping it as a reminder to never buy a collector's edition. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a sucker, man. I'm a, Take I mean, a good I, look. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, uh, yeah. Um, Christian, I'm surprised with your uh, close contact to Mark from marketing uh, that you don't realize that uh, all things can't just be one media type now. You have to have a transmedia property that uh, you know is a TV show and a comic book and a video game. And if you have an IP that has any kind of legs at all, it's got to be transmedia. It's got to be transmedia. Well, this is the perfect time, I think, and thank you for the segue, Jeff, to announce the DLC movie we have coming out. Um, yes. Mark Wahlberg and Jeremy Renner play Jeff and I, respectively, and um, <laughs> there are angels in it and demons, and it's a little off the source material, but I think you guys are going to dig it. The problem is, Jeff, Mark from Marketing worked for EA during the Dead Space transmedia idea, so he's a little gun-shy. <laughs> oh, well, you know, Mark's got to get over that. It's a new world. There, uh, is was, it? Uh, several years ago, yes. Um, I'm very excited about this. I think that, uh, you know, I, I said very loudly and very vocally that at the time that the thing I wanted in Titanfall Universe was to let me play some single-player. And, I, you know, I, my question to you guys is, does this is this a indicator of anything at all because you know we're seeing a whole bunch of multiplayer only games we're you know overwatch and um lawbreakers and there's you know the list goes on and on of these first person shooter multiplayer only games that are triple a that have very high expectations coming out and yet we tried that it looked great everybody got real excited about the universe hopped in played a, a little bit as you expressed chris and then it didn't have legs. It didn't even have mechanized giant legs. It, it, <laughs> it, uh, it clear, it's clear that these guys realized they needed to have, well, maybe not needed to have, but it certainly helped. It's, it motivated them in the sequel to include a single-player component, which I, I'm a little old school, and I think that, yeah, I want a single-player component. I want a single-player component in Overwatch. I want a single-player component in Lawbreakers. And it, it, it makes me sad that those games aren't going to have them. So does this mean anything? Is it, a, is it a harbinger of things, or is it just one isolated case? Chris? Um, well, I think, you know, I'm really excited for a single-player version of Titanfall. I think the reason that I got so down on it so quickly is um, the gap for ability, like, went way wide, way fast, and I loved the mechanics inside the game of jumping around and jumping into mech and jumping out and riding walls. And to me, to be able to take those mechanics and play them in a single-player narrative um, actually gets me more excited about a single-player game than I have in, in a long time, right? Uh, that plus the world-building that they've done in this game is, is really fascinating. I think that um, as far as the Harbingers, uh, looking to Overwatch is going to really be... 
uh, an interesting sort of take over the next year with them launching all these anim- uh, back to the transmedia thing, right? These animated shorts and, um, you know, but they're doing it Blizzard style. So I think you're going to end up seeing what a narrative could be uh, done in that transmedia way and, and done well and done to the level of that Overwatch cinematic trailer that came out. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's going to be really fascinating to see, okay, can we have both? Is transmedia required? Because like, I, I think we as, as individuals want story. We want narrative. Um, we want to immerse ourselves a lot of times in games. I, I think we, a, a lot of players play games to, to leave this world, right? Um, especially as, as you kind of mature as an adult and, and grow older, uh, the idea of just running around and killing people isn't necessarily the only reason that you want to play games. And, and as the industry continues to grow and mature, or the consumers of the industry, um, there's more of a need for that story element and that narrative, I think, than there ever has been in the past. I'm just not sure that taking it out and divorcing it from the game and making it its own thing. And, you know, they say, Overwatch in particular, the developers say there's there's story stuff in the world to be discovered. We built out this story and it's all backstory and the maps are designed in a way to communicate certain things and the character designs are there. But you know what? When I'm running around trying to survive a multiplayer match in Overwatch, I'm not really paying attention to all that and it's not really front and center. So what they're asking me to do is invest in that world and then go watch the anime or go invest in the comic book. And I I don't think that ever worked for Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat and I'm not certain it's going to work for these games either. I think it can. I mean, I I understand what you're saying, and I agree with you, but I I feel like what hypocrites of us will say, uh, or critics that will call us hypocrites, that's what I I just combined it all into one, hypocrites of us. (laughs) Um, What you just described is what you love the most about Fallout, and what you just described is what I loved the most about The Last of Us. And while those aren't shooter multiplayer games so that we can maybe digest them at our own pace... You know, my favorite parts of The Last of Us wasn't necessarily the actual VO'd narrative that Naughty Dog was feeding me. It was that in conjunction with the parts of the world that I see and explore and are layered upon me. And for you in Fallout, it's, you know, the way a town is laid out, you've talked about, and how you interact with the world, and that creates your own rich narrative. But the big difference there, Christian, is you're talking about two single-player experiences where there aren't other people in there jumping up and down, being weird... You know, they're, they're, we're not forced to deal with other human beings or compete against them in those games. So you can digest that world at your own pace and you can explore the nooks and crannies. There's no way that in Lawbreakers or, or uh, Overwatch or the first Titanfall that I'm like stopping and reading the sign on the, on the side of the wall at the thing or whatever. You know, I, I'm not discovering that stuff because I'm trying to survive. Well, right, you know? because you and I aren't good enough at those games and we didn't put enough hours in. I think once you have the map memorized and you know what you're doing and once you are running on a wall and taking out the Titan that's usually located in that courtyard that's down below because it's a choke point and you're on autopilot, you are able to experience those things. And I think the biggest counterpoint to you saying it's not successful I would argue, is the continued success and creation of that Street Fighter stuff. I mean, just because you and I don't buy it, I mean, they're make, they, they keep making comics. They keep making animated movies. They made bad live-action movies that they made another one of where you know there had to have been some money in the Chun-Li story or whatever it was called. So I think there is room for it here. I wholeheartedly agree with your analysis. I just don't think that it's a universal truth. I think it's our opinion 
that we don't prefer to a digest story that way. Do you think that if Halo had come out solely as a multiplayer game initially, that it would be as successful as it is today? No way. Yeah. No way. Also, it was a different time. Uh, But, you know, Halo, I think, stayed relevant because of its multiplayer, but it didn't become relevant because of its multiplayer. It's user acquisition versus user retention, in my opinion. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Says the uh, app developer. That's why we got you <laughs> on the show. Yeah, this is great. This is great. <laughs> but it is. Um, I, mean, I mean, you have the narrative, you have the story to bring the players in, to get them immersed in the world, and then you retain them over time and keep them engaged uh, through the multiplayer play, which you, as as a game designer, can't do. I mean, there's, you know, outside of, even WoW, the stuff that, that uh, drives user retention over time is is the multiplayer stuff, not the single player stuff. Well, and, you know, I, I'm, I would be remiss if I didn't bring up the fact that, you know, the game I play most often, Heroes of the Storm, has no story whatsoever. It's, it's actually co-opting all the other games in the, in the Blizzard <laughs> catalog story. And, but I don't care. And I think that that's the same way that I don't, I don't care about the story in Titanfall because it's not about whether my dude is going to, you know, solve the mystery of the universe or save the universe or whatever it's about whether jeff's going to get a w this time you know what i mean that's that's the story i'm living out in a multiplayer game is am i going to get a w and that can be really fun i'm not saying it's not fun i'm just saying that i think that titanfall will benefit from it and i think a lot of games in, in this way benefit from when they have a really cool universe letting me explore that in a single player context yeah, my only concern is that Jesse Stern is the guy writing the single-player campaign, which was he did Modern Warfare and Modern Warfare 2. Yeah. I, I like, like Modern Warfare. I like Modern Warfare 1. Modern Warfare 2 was a mess, but I think it was because they tried to make it a direct sequel of Modern Warfare, if I remember correctly. Modern Warfare 1, for when it came out, I remember it, you know, it yeah. had some really, really cool moments. Decade-old spoilers, but... When you're playing a character that dies, when you're playing a character that is forced to do something against his or her own will, uh, and the, it was the first game, I think, to pull a narrative out of those jumping perspectives, whereas the other Call of Duties had you jump perspectives and characters, but it was just because Normandy, uh, you know, trenches in Russia, and, but this did it in a way that told a story. I don't know. I like Modern Warfare. Well... Titanfall 2 is scheduled to launch sometime before March of 2017, so we have a ways to wait if it doesn't get delayed beyond that. Uh, but it will not be exclusive to the Xbox One this time. So, that, you know, the first Titanfall famously was. So it'll be on more platforms, more people will get to play it. I, I think it's going to be a much bigger experience, and I, I'm really much, very much looking forward to it. So, um, My story of the week, uh, it's been a while, guys, since I had a VR story as my story of the week. So... Forgive me, but I'm doing a VR story. This is not a the usual VR story. This is one that I think bodes really well for the future of video games on a grand scale. And that is Tim Sweeney and Mike Fricker from Epic released a video, sort of a tease for GDC, which will happen in March, uh, of the Unreal editor working in VR. Now, this isn't unreal for vr this isn't uh although that's happening as well the unreal engine used to power games that you will play in vr no this is actually using the unreal editor in a vr environment so you can create video games for vr or not vr so you can create just regular 2d video games inside a virtual environment and the video is really striking basically 
you're standing inside the video game you're creating and using the Oculus Touch controllers, picking up objects in the environment, manipulating them, moving them around, rotating them, creating a video game level in a way that is completely natural to the human experience. So you don't even have to know how to click and drag. You're literally just picking things up, changing them with your hands, setting them in places. They also showed uh, a bit of UI where you can uh, pull up what looks like almost like a tablet on your hand inside the VR environment that has all the sort of 2D assets or meshes that you'd be have created for your game. And then you just select one, drag it from that virtual tablet into the world, and it goes from being a 2D image of the mesh to the full three-dimensional mesh in the game world. Then you can manipulate that, move it around, and create the, the level the way you would want. I think this is huge, not because it's going to create more virtual reality games per se, but because it's going to open up the creation of video games and video game levels even wider to people that have even less need for technical skills. For artists, it, it's a, this has now become a true artistic endeavor, a true artistic environment for you to create a video game. And we're going to get people that were never able to because they just didn't have the programming skills to now express a creative vision in a video game very simply, very easily, and very intuitively. Pump. Your thoughts, Chris? Um, mm, I don't know. Um, I think that the Unreal Editor in general isn't um, something that's built for the normal consumer. I mean, if, if Media Mo- Molecule came out with this, I'd, I'd feel <laughs> a, a little more uh, how you do about it, Jeff, but... Knowing the Unreal Editor as it is and, and knowing the amount of code that has to go into, uh, into the back end, I mean, I think there's there's some opportunities for level designers to create sort of unique environments. But outside of that, if I'm a programmer and, and I'm building an Unreal Editor, the last thing that I want to do is do that with a VR headset on. I mean, it's just, I mean, because you're talking hundreds of hours to to create a game, right? This isn't something where you slap it on your head you're doing it for a half hour, you feel good, and then you're done. I mean, it, it takes a ton of time and effort to uh, build out games. So I, I think there might be some unique situations where this could be really great. Um, you know, like I said, level designers or, or what have you. But on the whole, it's too complex uh, a piece of software for consumers. That's why they're de- debuting it at GDC, um, which is a, uh, you know, a, um, a creator's conference. Um and it's it's too consumer ish for a real developer. That's my take. Oh man, you're killing me. I Chris. know, you're dude. Killing... I'm sorry. I, I really, I'm not arguing that this is a you know a little big planet esque consumer product. I still, I do believe it is still designed for for people who are serious about game design. But it it reduces the barrier of entry and it makes things makes things so much more intuitive. I really do think this is a massive improvement what's better than standing inside your video game to create it rather than staring at it on a 2d plane and trying to imagine what it would be like i don't know christian you're probably going to agree with chris though i was going to tell you to pump your brakes i mean maybe it gets there this this isn't the thing that you're describing it as unfortunately like this this is a really neat and fun way where you could do mario maker levels or like chris was saying to you know develop or design a level for unreal tournament this isn't like it doesn't. No, I think this is how you you could make any level in any game that uses the Unreal Engine. That's it's the full editor. It's there's no. It's not right. That's that's the or, problem. 
that's the biggest problem is the full editor is so complex. And where do you, where are you but pulling the assets? it's not for end users. It's not for just like you and me. It's still for game designers, but it's, it's making it easier for them. I, I think it's, it's reducing that barrier slightly. You still have to be serious about making games. I'm not saying it's like this toy. I'm saying it is, it is now opening that up for people that have less technical skills. I would argue, why is it easier if you're sitting in the world versus you have a bird's eye view of it and you're at a drafting table and you're God and you're placing things where you want them and moving them where you want them from a huge bird's eye view or whatever view you want. And then when you want to come into it, you can swoop down into a first person camera, which you can already do and explore through the space in a way that players are already exploring through a space. And is it great now to add an extra element of slapping on a VR helmet where you could get in there and maybe like do binoculars and really zoom in and really explore the space? Yes, that is an awesome extra layer of design. But I don't I mean, I don't know. I don't think this is how people will be designing their games or their levels because I don't think it makes it simpler. I think it's another tool that you can go in and look at. But I, I don't I mean, I don't think when this tech comes out, architects in 10 years will be, you know, sitting in their uh, minority report room, swishing things around. Maybe, but you'd want to I, I still think you want to pull out and look at things from above where you can take in the whole level that you're creating or the whole world you're creating. I am super glad this exists. I love that Unreal is continuing to find ways to make their tech cool and exciting for developers because so many devs do use their tech. But I don't think that this knocks down a barrier of entry. If anything, I think it increases it because now you have another piece of technology that you're using with other tech that's existed for years. It, it it's. I'm sorry, Jeff. You're wrong. <laughs> I, mean, I will say uh, this though: it gets me really excited about the concept of like a Sims VR, like where hmm. you're it, you can go in and build your own house inside of VR. Like that, my wife would would go nuts, man. She would never she would never live in reality again. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine? I mean, I'm sure somebody's already working on this idea of, uh, I mean, it's sort of Minecrafty as well, that you can be gigantic and create a dollhouse sized thing with your hands and, and then shrink yourself down and walk around and live in it. Uh, you know, that, that's pretty cool. And we'll certainly see something along those lines very soon. Um, it's killing me today that there's we're not streaming live, so I don't have a chat room to get my back on some of this because I think people would be <laughs> on my side. I'm getting ganged up on, but that's okay. It's okay. Uh, you guys will send me emails of support, I'm sure, and derision. That's how it works. I was um, say, I'm drafting my email now. Is that what I need to do? I need to also email you listening to... <laughs> I got a uh, Spishin Chrysler email. I don't understand who that is. Um, Guys, we have a few more stories and then some great games to talk about, so stick around. But I do need to thank our sponsors. Uh, of course, Cashfly is your uh, – it's, it's a great hosting site, best CDN in the business. They're responsible for all the shows in the 5x5 network. You can check them out at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. I urge you to do that. They, uh, all your hosting needs are great. But I really need to tell you about Casper. Uh, Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. If you've been sleeping, if you're like me, <laughs> and when I got out of college, I was still sleeping on the same mattress that I was sleeping on in a high school. I took that mattress from my home to college to my first apartment, and it was like several years before I realized, hey, when I wake up and I don't feel great, Maybe it's the stupid mattress that I've been on that I've been using way too long and really was never that great in the first place. Casper makes replacing your mattress and getting a great night's sleep affordable and easy. That's because they're giving you high-quality mattresses 
for a fraction of the price. We're talking like 500 bucks for a twin, 950 for a king size. These are mattresses that usually go for thousands of dollars. And even better, they're going to let you try them for 100 days before you have to decide whether you're going to keep them or not. That means that you don't have to just walk into some retail store, lay down on something for 10 minutes and try to decide on a thousands of dollar purchase. You're going to get something less expensive that's super high quality and that's also going to let you make sure you like it by sleeping on it for months, months at a time before you have to decide. There's free shipping to your door. It's super easy. I've done this. It's great. If you end up not liking the mattress, they'll come and pick it up from you. You don't even have to worry about shipping it back to them. They'll come grab it from you and you get 100 days to make that decision. This is great. Even better, because you listen to this show, we're going to get you 50 bucks off your purchase. All you got to do is go to casper.com slash DLC. That's C-A-S-P-E-R dot com slash DLC. And then use the promo code DLC on your checkout and you'll save 50 bucks. You'll get a high quality mattress. You'll probably end up sleeping better, feeling better. Man, I can't recommend this higher. Casper.com slash DLC. Use that promo code DLC for 50 bucks off and get a good night's sleep. It's, it's really just a no-brainer. All right, guys. Um, a couple of other things I just wanted to mention for um, news stories. I mean, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but uh, this pirate group, this very prominent pirate group on the Torrents, 3DM, they were whining a couple of weeks ago about how the new uh, anti-cracking software that Just Cause 3 and some other games are using is so difficult. Ugh, it's going to be so hard to crack. Well, it turns out now they just put out an uh, official statement. As of the Chinese New Year, they had an internal meeting, 3DM pirates, and they're saying they're not going to crack any single-player games for a year. Taking a year off. And they're going to see. We're like, oh, so magnanimous of these guys. We're going to take a look at the situation in a year to see if genuine sales have grown. So they're like, hey, if we don't crack any games and don't give them to free, people, give them free to people to steal, will the sales go up? They want to find this out. Now, I think these guys are kind of D-bags. And uh, this statement is so... It's so presumptuous on so many levels uh, to say, well, we're going to do this nice thing. But I think the end result could be very interesting, and that's why I wanted to bring it up. Um, Christian, what do you think about this notion of taking a year off from cracking cracking PC games? I, I guess that's a good thing. It's you know, I think any time a group of people is like, we're going to take a year off of breaking the law uh, is <laughs> – is a, is a good thing, I guess. I mean, it's weird. It, it, they come across as altruistic, and I do think there is a time and place for hacking, and I do think that what uh, hackers have done for society as a whole has probably, at this point, maybe been net positive, which is weird to say, because I don't quite know the full scope of everything that's happened. Um, What's an example of that? Of a net positive hack? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I might be having terms wrong, but hack versus just stealing data that you have access to as a government employee and oh, then releasing like WikiLeaks or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I uh, and I also think that hacking often. Um, what was it? Oh gosh, a car company recently. I think it was Jeep. They had uh, hackers found a way that they could remotely take over a car, and they released. I think this the, is a little different than that, though. This is this. No, is, I'm giving examples of good hacking, and then the yeah. Chrysler Group brought them in to fix it. You know what I mean? Like, uh, what is that type of hacking? Where you you hack to prove the vulnerabilities, and then white hat, white hat hacking. There we go. Great. But you're this, basically comparing the comparing somebody um, picking a lock to steal something with somebody picking a lock 
to like help you back into your house after you're locked out of it or to find out that your house could be lockpicked. It's, I think it's kind of apples and oranges. Well, that's not what I was saying at all, Jeff. I was saying it's good that people are taking a year off of, of breaking the law to hacking. And then I ended that statement and I started saying that hacking is sometimes beneficial. And then Chris asked to give, for me to give examples of beneficial hacking. So then I replied to his comment of that, which had nothing to do with my first comment. That was that it's good that these hackers are taking a year off from breaking the law. And that's been your TV guide summary. Thank you all. <laughs> All right, so go ahead. Well, no, I mean, it, it's a good thing that they're not stealing games and releasing them into the wild anymore, and hopefully they continue to do it. Whether or not it will show you know, a huge rise in PC game sales, my hypothesis is that it, no, it won't, because the people that play hacked and stolen games probably weren't going to buy them anyway, which I think is kind of true of, again, this is a stretched analogy, but like I think most people that play PS Plus or Xbox Live for gold games if those games weren't made available for free on that service, I would guess most people would never buy to play them. And I think hacked games are often the same way in that people that play hacked and stolen games rarely would otherwise go and buy them. I just don't, I don't understand what motivates them one way or the other. Like how, like 3DM in particular, what is it that drives them to hack these games? And then in what mindset did they get to to decide to make this this sort of press release saying we're not going to hack games for a year, like I, I it seems like kids playing house. Like I don't understand. Yeah, like like it's all it's all this fake sort of self importance that isn't even yes. real, right? That's absolutely true. I, I think that's absolutely true. It's that we are making an official statement that we're first of all, it's like oh this is super hard and we can't do it, and it's like well no we don't even want to for a year we're just we're, because we're so we're so. Uh, interested in the sociological experiment of whether or not that's going to actually result in more sales it's like you know what get off your high horse there pal you're you're thieves and somebody came up with a better lock and you can't get past it so you're taking a break i mean Um, i I just can't get over like the robin hood mentality of these guys where it's like oh we're gonna damn the man by taking a product that they've spent time and energy creating you know in hopes that they could get sales from it and just giving it away for free. Like, who are you? You're hurting everybody in that situation. Well, it's a chicken and the egg, or I don't uh, my meta. I'm just going to quit making metaphors so as to not confuse Jeff um, and also speak <laughs> clearly. Um, I understand some levels of it because at some point you play or whatever you want to say you play, I, I feel like has been egregious to me personally in the past. So I will use them as, as my example. They have become so cumbersome and bloated, and it, it's packed. Some of these uh, locks are packed with spyware programs of their own or malware that loads onto your computer that you don't know is there, and it slows things down. And it's cumbersome, and you can't play um, SimCity on the airplane because it needs to always be online because they say it's to you know protect their games so that people aren't hacking it and stealing it. And so I get where you antagonize your user base, where they're going to be like, nah, <laughs> we're going to find a way around this. And then I think from there, it becomes a game of bravado and cat and mouse where, oh yeah, we can do this. Nice try. We can do this. And it, and it is bullying to some extent on both sides where the goal isn't necessarily just to give away a game for free, it's to you know stick up the middle finger to the quote-unquote man for making their things restrictive in the first place. I, I never expected the, the ex-lawyer to be defending uh, 3DM on this one. 
but you should expect the ex-lawyer to speak positively of hackers that could maybe ruin him financially. <laughs> uh, always hedging his bets. There, um, there we go. <laughs> I don't. Despite my condemnation of of, the, of these guys and their sort of ridiculous uh, public display, yes, hedge I, my bets. <laughs> no, I, I, I also don't want to be hacked. But no, I, I think that it actually, um, it actually may result in some interesting data. You know, if if these guys are sort of the biggest game in town as far as uh, you know releasing on torrents these hacked versions of the games that people can get for free, and they're not doing it anymore, it may may actually end up being interesting to see over the next year if there's some sort of trackable result. I would be curious to find that out. I don't know how we'll how we will get that data. Who will end up releasing or even sort of making sense of that data? But I hope that it happens. I would love to find that out. I would just hope that these guys, the the individuals in a group like this or, you know, similar hacker groups, man, like at some point they, they realize they get out of this mentality of, of like or this this mindset that they're doing all this good inside hacking and actually use this energy and their talents because they're all massively talented, intelligent people and just like use it to create things, use it to, to you know, go build new stuff and make the world a better place and you know, not necessarily just giving away cracked editions of Just Cause 3. Which, by the way, I don't know if you've ever, like, used a cracked game, but it is no easier than you play. Like, <laughs> it is just as difficult to get going. It's not like you're just downloading an executable and running. So, um, anyway, I just... I. I really do wish these guys the best and I, I hope they get an opportunity because they're taking a year off from, from cracking games. I hope they have a year to, to explore what else they could be working on and find something really cool to work on. I think they're getting into PR. That's their, oh. new, <laughs> they're crafting press releases and getting into messaging. So yeah. Um, there's a few other stories. I, you know, I don't know if we need to get into them. The unsung story, the big, uh, Kickstarter. It's another example of uh, Kickstarter. They've literally stopped working on this game that made six hundred thousand dollars on Kickstarter. They're just like, well, we're not making it anymore. We got to make some other games to make money for our company. I-, I don't know if we have anything to say on that. That's different than the last time we talked about a Kickstarter that did something similar. I mean, can uh, we just, just can we just all admit that Kickstarter is a known quantity at this point? Like, yeah, you got to be buyer beware at this point, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, and and I think no, knowing I even say buyer beware, I I shouldn't even use that term because I don't think it's a buyer. I don't think you're buying things on Kickstarter. Uh, I think you are, you know, donating money in the hopes that something happens. I still love it. I think it's an amazing thing. And just- I agree. And there's plenty of success stories and wonderful ones. Um, you know, I think the fact that uh, Oculus is giving all their original backers a very expensive final version of the of the hardware. I think that's a pretty cool thing. And there's examples like that all over the place. So it's not all bad, but, um, you know, every, for every unsung story, (laughs) there's, uh, you know, it, 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 I think it tarnishes the idea and makes people more, more leery of, of giving their, their money as they should be. Can I say, can I say one thing? I have a, I have a quick personal story about this and I'm totally going, going to use it to, uh, uh, push a Kickstarter. So forgive me audience for doing that. But uh, my buddy Rob has a game studio called Nectar Game Studios. He has a game on Kickstarter right now called Project Resurgence, um, which is an old school uh, RPG, like CRPG type game. Um, It's amazing. Please go check it out. But the really neat thing is um, I've been able to see him 
like launch this Kickstarter and then go through that process. And he took a year before he ever even launched this thing, right, to make sure that he had enough people to deliver the project that he was working on. He he worked with 50 volunteers, I think, for the first year, just getting up a, a playable demo. And um, I really think after seeing him go through that process, and I mean, the guy the guy works, his office is next door to the Chore Monster office in, in Cincinnati. So I've been able to just sort of see him progress and, and build out this Kickstarter and the demo and, and do it all with, with zero capital. Um, and it's been really interesting to watch. But the thing that fascinates me is he would not do a Kickstarter until he had a demo launched. And I think mm-hmm. like for, for consumers, like to be able to play something, just some yeah. sort of like that's an I think that's that point. Like if there if that doesn't exist on a Kickstarter, if you can't download something and play it and see it working, because like he has proven that he can do it for free. I mean, he didn't right. spend a dime building this thing. And it's an, and it's an incredible demo, too. So it's proof that like you you if you're if you're going in and you're launching a Kickstarter, you have to give the consumer something to say, hey, I, we're committed to completing this thing. And even if they and com- this go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I was just going to say I'm, I'm looking at it right now, and this definitely looks like my kind of game: top-down role-playing game, turn-based combat. Uh, looks like they, as of our recording, they only have 55 hours to go, and they they have passed their goal. They made 162 thousand dollars of a 160 thousand dollar goal right now. So, congrats! They they did it. Good job. Um, but it looks really cool. This looks uh, like something I would be really into. But if you if you, enough people donate and they get a stretch goal, it's actually them changing the key to their office so Chris can't keep walking in and messing up development. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely cool. break into my office more than I break into theirs. That's for sure. Oh, good, good. Well, they're 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 going to take a year off though. They just announced that they're going to take a year <laughs> off from it and see if Chore Monster, you know, how it does in that year. <laughs> anyway. uh, again, if you if you're curious, it's called Project Resurgence on Kickstarter. Act yeah. fast because there's only 55 hours as of recording this. Yeah, but it, it um, I mean, it's this is proof. Just seeing it anecdotally and seeing it, you know, uh, a particular individual go. I mean, this game for Rob uh, was a dream of his, man. And somebody he's been working on a long time. And only because of Kickstarter is he able to see that dream to realization, which is it's just it's really cool that this thing still exists. I mean, I, I, I would be remiss if we didn't spend the time to say, you know what? Stuff like Unsung, Unsung Story happens, but Kickstarter on the whole, to me, is still a really great, wonderful thing that exists. I agree. I agree 100%. Uh, all right, guys, let's wrap up the news and move on to what we've been playing in our playlist. Ooh, what you playing this week? Tell us. Ooh, what you playing this week? Tell us on the playlist. Chris, you talked a little bit about XCOM 2 and your controller issues, but let's get into the nitty-gritty of what that game is like. I haven't had a chance to play it yet, so I'm very curious to hear how it lives up to uh, the original game. Well, not the original, but the update that happened just a few years ago that I loved. So um, XCOM 2, what did you think? Oh, man. Um, So I actually missed the update. I played the original XCOM, but the update was Enemy Unknown. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. You didn't play that? No, I didn't. I didn't oh, get wow. a chance to play it. I'm, uh, uh, I'm bummed. So, so my take, just uh, take my opinion in that light, knowing that I didn't. Pl- I played the original, did not play Enemy Unknown, and I'm now playing XCOM Two. XCOM Two is to XCOM what Assassin's Creed Two was Assassin's Creed, in my opinion. Wow. That level of jump, that level of polish, 
um, you know, they've added this really great narrative. Um, I'm, I, I got sucked in right away uh, to what's happening inside the world. And, you know, the aliens have taken over. And, like, instead of you being this government body, you're now this sort of ragtag group trying to, to um, you know, come come out from under the ground to, to get the aliens that have taken over. And, and it, it just, that narrative alone is like, I'm like, I'm in, this is good. Um, that and making sure that every player is named after a chore monster employee pretty much just has me locked. <laughs> yeah. That's the big thing. You know, you gotta, you, you, nothing makes you want to keep people alive more than naming them after friends. <laughs> uh, I love that. Uh, so, Obviously, turn-based combat still. Uh, I think the game looks a little bit better just from the videos and, and uh, event stuff that I've seen. Yeah, the graphics uh, are gorgeous. Um, the other one of the the other big mechanics is concealment. Um, so hmm. you often start the game concealed from the aliens, um, and that really becomes a huge driver for every single mission. Um, and it, again, goes back to that narrative of you're trying to sneak up on the big government body, which is now you know the aliens. Um, and so you play a lot of the mission trying to stay as concealed as possible. Uh, there's a moment where the aliens may see you or may not see you, but you should be able to be in position, um, to take care of them. The other thing that's interesting is almost every mission has a timer of some sort. So, Uh um, which sounds terrible. I don't know. It doesn't sound good. Yeah. But what it does is it really gets you engaged in the missions. And I, I, Spicer, I'm sure you can talk to this too. Like, it forces you to keep moving forward, to keep making decisions, and and it, the game feels like it plays much faster than uh, the original, um, at least for me. I'm not as worried about, you know, am I going to make a mistake here? Am I going to make a mistake there? Uh, it, I'm just going to keep moving forward, and if I make those mistakes, I'll, I'll you know, try to find a way out of it, which I feel like there's more mechanics in there that allow you to uh, n- not play run and gun, but definitely move faster. What about the base building aspects of it? Has that evolved any or, um, I mean, it's one of my favorite parts of the XCOM template. Um, I actually haven't gotten into it that much yet, but, uh, I don't know Spicer. I've only put about four hours or so into it. I don't know if you can speak to that. No, actually I haven't put any time into the game. That's why I excited to have you on. I maybe misspoke when I was talking to Jeff because I, I oh, wonder with this, with this game, what the no, and I, I didn't put in the show doc what I've been playing because I've been playing two kids that are sick. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I have been playing some stuff, but not anything in depth. I, I wonder, like, this game's getting really good reviews. It sounds like you're loving it, Jeff. You haven't played it yet. I wonder when or if you will. And I wonder if the ultimate problem with XCOM 2 is that XCOM didn't signal a resurgence of the genre as much as it did, uh resurgence of this one single game that we love that played on nostalgia and now there's another one that's even better than the first one people are like we're ready to wait another 12 years before we play this again i don't know about that i i think that it sort of did i mean the game hard west uh, that i talked about a few weeks ago came out as sort of was the the you know macabre western version of XCOM. i think there has been a bit of a resurgence in in that turn-based style and certainly proving that it can work uh, on tablets and on touchscreens. I think there's a lot more in that space of games that are influenced by XCOM uh, just because it works so well on a touchscreen surface. Uh, I'm definitely excited about XCOM 2, uh, you know, and, and hearing Chris say that it it really refined the, the formula and feels fresh and exciting. I, you know, those, de- those games are really tense, and those games are, re- you know, I find 
it, the the risk reward of having you know death of your characters that you've built up to be very stressful and so in in a lot of ways um those games can be i can i can talk myself out of starting a a, a game just because like oh, i don't want to risk that person's life uh and i think that the idea of having a timer on the missions is really off-putting to me because i tend to hate that especially in my turn-based games is it a ti- it's a timer i'm assuming that only turns. moves when- yeah turns yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I, you know, uh. I, sorry, I will say that, you know, one of the things that is really interesting about XCOM 2 in the way that it makes me feel about this game is it's inverted the relationship of you are the underdog this time. You, you go mm. into a mission narratively as the underdog. And so there's this feeling of like, it's okay if we all die, we're all supposed to die, but we may right. have a chance to live and get through the mission. That's cool. And that, to me, is what really – it takes away a lot of that tension and takes away a lot of that pressure um, to be 100% successful or make sure that everybody um, makes it out of the mission alive or, or what have you. Because uh, the story is telling you, like, look, you're the underdog. You are going to get – I mean, from the first second that you start the game, like, you are going to be the one that gets beat up. The aliens are always going to have advantage on you, always. So knowing that – what can you do to maybe get out of this alive? I think that alone, that driver, completely inverts the way that you feel about the game going in. Yeah, isn't the the subtitle is insurgency or something like that? Like you are the the setup is that aliens have taken over the planet and you're trying to lead an uprising to take them down, right? Correct. Yeah, very cool premise. Um, and I just, I love these games. I love turn based strategy games. Um, so I will, I'm definitely going to give it a shot at some point. I've, I've just been, uh, wrapped up in other things, but, um, I'm, I'm glad that you have such high praise for it. I'm anxious to try it. So that, and I'm also excited that Overwatch beta is coming back tomorrow. I know I'm going to be playing a lot of that too, especially since we hear that there's going to be a new, uh, game mode, which I'm very curious about what that's going to entail. Um, they, they make an, and, and a progression system. I mean, nothing hooks me into a multiplayer game like progression. I, I kind of felt like that was big time missing from Overwatch in the first beta. So, and I'm sure there'll be like incentives to have reached a certain level by the beta. So I'm going to be playing that. <sighs> Just That's for next week. That, that, and the uh, progressive progression system. It's interesting because it does, it keeps you hooked, but it also, I think, keeps new players from jumping in after a certain point because. You know, we don't know what it is or how it affects gameplay, but I thought the beauty of it, you know, Chris, when we were playing at um, BlizzCon was everybody's at a level playing field in terms of what you have and what you do. And it was almost more akin to Halo 1 or Halo 2 in that sense than the, oh, man, Jeff's been playing this game way more than me. He's not going to want me to play with him because I only have standard gun. I, it, I don't know. Oh, I, I, I don't think that's going to be the progression system in this game at all. It's it. These are very much heroes that have certain skills that you can uh, trigger or not trigger. You can't. You don't. I don't think there's going to be upgradable guns. I don't think there's going to be any of that. I think the progression system is all going to be around prestige, as far as um, you know, just rank a ranking system. A uh, you know, basically like a like Heroes of the Storm has. Hmm. I'm assuming yeah. it will be more about you know matchmaking and getting into games with higher skill levels and leveling up your skill and having a, a cool number by your profile picture that gives you cool stuff and getting gold to let you buy cool things that make your guy look neater, um, which is all crack that tends to work on me in I particular. Want so, I want it yeah. so bad. 
I want that cool stuff that the other guy has because his stuff is cool. Blizzard's it, cool. so good at progression stuff, man. Like, oh. it's so good at, at, at just really refining the concept of, like, we're not going to change anything in the gameplay, but you are going to want to rank up so hard. Yeah. Oh, I know. I want to rank up so hard because of the cool stuff that the cool guys have. I want to be like the cool guys with the cool stuff. Give me the cool stuff! I hope you guys are right because that'll be great because then when I play, I won't play enough to know that the other guys have a thing that's cooler than me. I'll be like, that guy's hat is purple. That looks weird. <laughs> but <laughs> like for real, the purple hat's the best making, hat. They're pretty good at making cool stuff. Anyway, I've been missing it and I'm really excited for it to come back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what else is on your playlist? Anything? Um, that's it right now. I'm still playing through Witcher three cause it takes oh, yeah? forever. Um, and I just, in a good way, forever in a good way yeah, that you're oh, like very savoring. much so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've never been a side quest guy and like, I can't pass up an opportunity to do a side quest in this game. So it's just, I mean, I know it's kind of an old game, but it, at this point or at least last year, but it, it's just such a great game. If, if you, and it's, it's starting to get on sale everywhere. Like I saw it for like 25 bucks on steam, not too long ago. If you haven't had a chance, pick it up. I think that's the problem with my life in general is that I am a side quest guy. Like if I was – if like it just in my own human life, if I was just more interested in the main quest, I think I'd be doing so well. But I'm always, I'm always distracted by side quests. I mean, I'm a side I think, quest I guy. I think that's our problem in general, right? Like we all love hobbies. Like it's, it's bad yeah. enough that we like video games, but we also like board games and sports and a million other things. I got to just figure out what the mainline quest is in my life. And only work on those quests and ignore all the side quests. The side quests are so interesting. Ugh, side quest guy. I think Spicer's figured it out. Parenting's a main quest item. He's, he's doing that pretty yeah, well. You're it, right. It, ha- it has to be a main quest item. But the problem is that some of these side quests, they look really fun. Like you're with your kids and you get to the signpost in the middle of the town. <laughs> and you're like, okay, you guys stay right here. <laughs> I mean, granted, I uh, did kill a dragon, but then CPS showed up and they took my kids. So now that's my main quest is to, <laughs> your to find my, get, get my back. kids back. Yeah. So you're playing Fallout is really what's happening. <laughs> I am, but I just haven't gotten back to it because the world I live in is so interesting. Um. <laughs> I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to level up in the uh, board gaming guild and uh, the uh, eating desserts guild and the, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that I'm worried about in my side quest uh, chains that I really, really shouldn't be. Listen, well, I, know, I know this is a family show, but my alcohol guild is like <laughs> capped out at this point. <laughs> yeah, you've hit the end of that quest chain yeah. and you still keep grinding and you're not getting anything <laughs> out of it. You well, can't Chris level and, up any higher, Chris. Chris and I can attest too, though, Jeff, and um, uh, uh, maybe down the line, a uh, potential spoiler for anyone listening that isn't in the situation that Chris and I are in. Um, we had to, we, we failed a lot of other quests that we were maybe were interested in, like the being cool quest. Um, <laughs> after I opted the have kids quest and I have just, I watched so many just say failed, 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 have disposable income, failed, travel when you want, failed. Um, but I did unlock a live a fulfilling life quest. Oh, so. that's good. That's good. <laughs> the, the the be cool quest is not worth even even trying to complete because there's just it's so there's no clear indication of even how to do it and once you get to the <laughs> end it, 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 there's no real reward it's it's pretty useless. Anyway, we've we've beat that horse to death. Uh, <laughs> but you can kickstart it back to life, you guys. If you head over to uh, we have a comic book coming. It's a real transmedia. <laughs> transmedia, baby. Um, Christian, do you have any? Did you want to talk about anything on you? Are you just been sort of traveling and working with kids? Well, I want to bring it up because it comes out tomorrow, and I've 
played just a teensiest bit, a bit of it. Unravel was a Ooh. E3 darling. Um, well, it was this year, I think they showed it. Yeah. Um, and it blew me away at, at E3 with its presentation. And it came out early, uh, the first two levels on EA Access, of which I am a member of. And it's a charmer, dude. I've read a couple of reviews to see, like, hey, is this going to wow me or, or take me in a way? The first two levels are what you'd expect. I would call it um, simple but beautiful. Like, it's not Ori in the Blind Forest or at no point was I sitting there, you know, pressing my dexterity or coming across portal-esque type puzzles that after you solve them seem so simple. But in the moment, you're like, my game's broken. The game's clearly broken. I need I need the fast goo here, and there's no fast goo. There's no way I can. Oh, I solved it, but that's not a bad thing. Um, I, I think there's nothing wrong with a very enjoyable, beautiful, charming, simple game. And my impressions of the first two levels, and then what I've read of reviews, is that's what unraveled it unravel is. But uh, man, it's it's beautiful. It's a charmer. Did you have either of you spent time with this? No, but a friend of the show, Ben Silverman from Yahoo Games, uh, I read his little review. He said, uh, Unravel is wonderful and you'll like it less the more you play it. Oh, no. so, oh. Um, so, so maybe I'm still in the honeymoon then with just might, those two levels. Might be. I don't know. I mean, that's one man's opinion, but um, I'm curious to try it. I have been spending uh, a lot of time. I spent a lot of time this week playing Firewatch, Ooh. which is uh, also coming out tomorrow. And I'm able to finally talk about it. Uh, I finished it. Ooh. Um, this is a game that was really high on my most anticipated games of this year, uh, and it really did live up to that expectation. This is this is the kind of game that I've been pining for since uh, the Wii, uh, we can confirm days, or even earlier since the Totally Rad Show days. This idea of a compelling, interesting, big experience. I mean, it's not a super long game, but it's it's a it feels like a big robust experience that doesn't involve any guns or killing or anything. And I like guns and killing. I, I enjoy competitive games. I love shooters. I, I like those games, but I like the idea that there are alternatives and that we can have in the video game space other kinds of experiences and you can figure out ways to make uh, a moment-to-moment gaming experience still really interesting and really compelling and, and compulsive but you don't have to be shooting something every two seconds. And uh, Firewatch uh, achieves that really clever in a really clever ways and uh, spectacularly, in my opinion. The idea is, first of all, by the way, no, I will not spoil anything about this game because it really does rely on its story. But I will say that I think this has the best opening sequence of a video game since Bioshock. This is oh, a game that draws you in in such an elegant amazing way it kicks you in the heart (laughs) right at the beginning and it so smartly makes you invest in in the character like what a brilliant great well-written way to it brings you in into the game in in a in a really concise sort of narrative choose your own adventure kind of thing where you're you're making you're reading text on a screen and then deciding between two versions of the way things went down so you're making decisions and you're crafting your character in, a, in very rudimentary ways. It's not big, profound things. Like in one, sec- in one moment, you, you get a dog and you get to decide what kind of dog, like what breed of dog and the name of it. It's minor things, but 
it carries through for the whole rest of the game, right? It's it's cool. Like you're you're investing in your character and you're learning things, and it also is a beautiful little elegant story that is written for adults. It's it's nuanced and interesting and and weighty, and it's it it feels like more like an independent film setup than than a video game. And I think that's a very positive thing for this hobby. And then, so the idea is you're a, a guy and for, for various reasons you have taken this job as a park ranger in Colorado. It's a very lonely existence. You're going to be living in this little elevated treehouse basically. It's a, it's a, it's a shack. It's a, uh, a ranger station that's a few stories up that looks out over the park and you're looking for fires. So you're there basically just all summer long in this park looking for fires and it's a very lonely existence, but you have a radio and you can talk to the other, another person stationed in another end of the park. And so you establish this relationship over the radio talking back and forth and the voiceover work is excellent. Uh, I'm actually uh, friends with uh, Rich Sommer who plays the main character. So I'm not exactly impartial, but he gives a, just a wonderfully, grounded performance and uh, the whole game just feels authentic like nothing supernatural is you know afoot it is it it feels more like gone home you know not grow home christian don't get don't get excited uh it is it feels like gone home like that game was an example if people have played gone home an example of hey video games can like tell grounded personable stories they can tell these real naturalistic tales and still be interesting and compelling. And I think this takes that idea and expands it even further because there's more going on. You're, you're out in the park, you're wandering around and you're uncovering this mystery and trying to figure out what's going on. And the way that the, they unravel the mystery before you is so compelling and you get so drawn into what's, what could be going on. And there's a lot of, um, wandering around in the forest. And I think maybe some people will find that stuff to be a little, um, I don't know, a little drawn out and a little redundant because there's a lot of backtracking. There's a lot of wandering around and going from place to place. And all you have is a map and a compass. And uh, you, you actually are having to navigate this, this wilderness. And I found that to be so interesting because it made me feel, it didn't feel like a video game. It felt like when I'm actually out camping or hiking and doing that kind of thing, like you you really are wandering around. And the, the game doesn't look completely real. It, it has a kind of a cartoony aesthetic. Um, but it's still very beautiful and you're, you're wandering around in this outdoor environment and there's lakes and trees and rocks and canyons and streams and, and it feels like hiking. And it, it, it's a proof that video games can do real activities and make them compelling. Dude, this is uh, some weighty praise, my good friend. I, I'm, I'm, I should temper it slightly because it really is a game that's made for me in a lot of ways. Like I, I, I feel like there's definitely a chance that some people won't like it as much as I do simply because like, a lot of the game is just getting from place to place. And what you're doing, the, the moment to moment of what you actually do is you navigate to certain locations. And as you see things, you're able to report them on the radio to the other ranger who is a female who has been around longer. Like this is your first year doing this, but she's had much more experience. So she's kind of 
you know, having you learn the ropes and being sarcastic and making fun of you for not knowing what you're doing. And that relationship is really well written and well realized and, and fun to be a part of. But it basically is just sort of living through this story that is fairly linear, even if how you get from place to place is open world. It still is sort of very linear. And the game does a lot of really interesting things to keep you on that path. So if you wander off in a certain ways and then report something, she'll say things like, oh, you've really, you really, you know, you've, you've ventured too far north or something. And it'll help you get back to the, to the, where you will advance the story further. But it still feels like you have agency and you're able to kind of go where you want and see what you want and wander around. Um, and this, and the mystery itself, I will say the resolution at the end is, doesn't pack as hard a punch as I hoped it would, but it's still interesting and it still shows that video games can do things that they haven't really done up to this point. How Uh, long did this experience take you? I I think it was, I think it was around six to eight hours. Um, so it's not short, but again, a lot of that is just going from place to place. Um, there, I I think there is going to be some short attention span players that will feel, uh, frustrated by some of what the game is, is offering. But for those of us that are, have been kind of craving an experience like this, it, it didn't feel to me frustrating for that in that way at all. I really loved wandering around the woods and listening and having conversations with this reporting interesting stuff for someone who's played neither they're both be on ps4 tomorrow this or gone home well gone home is like correct me if i'm wrong because my memory is a little hazy at this point because it's been a couple of years now since i played it but gone home is like two hours right it's a it's like a couple of sittings yeah um, uh, you can make sure it's the three it, it is shorter than what you're describing yeah. as firewatch but they both sound like um walking simulators and i don't mean that negatively um I, I think this is. I think this improves on Gone Home in almost every way. It feels wow, like a okay. much more. It feels like a much more robust experience. It, it it feels like a higher quality. I mean, Gone Home is a very independent game. This is also an independent game, but the the things you get to see, the places you get to go, and the performances are all, I think, of a superior quality than anything in Gone Home. And so, if I log into your Pinterest right now, this is on your top five, top five. Um, Thirty-five, and my voice is cracking. Top five favorite games of the year for 2016 already. It has. To, I mean, sure. you are for sure. You are I gushing think, all over this like it's called Heroes of the Storm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is definitely on my short list for game of the year. Here we are in February. You know, not much has come out yet, but it, it certainly is an experience that I I treasure. I I loved it. I I mean, there were there was a moment. Maybe we'll be able to talk spoilers about this game in a couple of weeks um, if you play it. But um, there's, a, you, there's no way you're going to sit here and it's been the last 10 minutes you saying this is the best thing you've ever had in your life. And no, me I saying didn't say Unravel that. was fun but not great. And then Ben saying it gets worse the more you play it. Like <laughs> I am definitely buying Firewatch tomorrow and then giving my kids some Tylenol just to lower the fever, not to drug them into sleeping. Right. And then I am playing Firewatch. <laughs> I think I think I really think you're going to like it, dude. It's it's. There's there are a couple of moments where I literally gasped that something when something okay happened. stop because now stop because this yeah. uh, this is now two weeks after episode seven came out and I haven't seen it you know what I mean like right. it can't live up to this hype yeah you're uh, right it, and again temper your expectations because really it's <laughs> what is no, it? honestly what, it's what not pl- what platforms is it available uh, I played it on Steam but it's also coming out on PS4 okay and, and temper Mac your expectations but 
listen listen to the last 10 minutes where i was blowing those expectations well, i know i i feel bad but but honestly it's um what what i'm praising about it is the fact that it isn't over the top that it that it is something that is a, an authentic experience and honestly i know you're going to scoff at this but how I wish this game was in VR. Yeah, this game was is made for VR. It's about wandering around in the forest. It's about, like, your character doesn't do anything superhuman in this game. You can climb things, yes, but you're not Nathan Drake. You can jump slightly, but mostly he's sort of, like, scampering over logs or, you know, vaulting himself over a log or, or sort of awkwardly hopping on a rock or something. It, and and he's sort of out of shape. He's not a super in shape guy. It's it's a it's something that video games don't really do, which is giving you sort of a an independent film. It's giving you this feeling of stepping into somebody else's life for a moment that is an interesting tale. And that's why I think it's so exciting. But I wish it was in VR because it was made for VR. It's about wandering around and looking at pretty stuff and and hearing things and like using your walkie talkie. And it's like the immersion would be even more heightened if I was able to play this in Oculus or Vive. And this Chris, is, we're, uh, we're not hanging out tomorrow. We're playing Firewatch. <laughs> I caught that. That's fine. Uh, this is the writers that did uh, Telltale's Walking Dead, right? Yeah, it's uh, Ali Moss, and it's a, I think it's a new studio called Campo Santo, but I think it's it's made up of a bunch of veterans of a lot of really cool stuff. Yeah, Sean Vanaman is the is the writer, and he's done uh, Walking Dead, uh, Monkey Island of the episodic stuff. So he's done a bunch of like he knows narrative. Sure, and cool. honestly, I can't speak highly enough of of the, of the writing and the performance. And again, you know, Rich is, is is he's one of the guys that got me into board games. Um, he, real huge board game fan. But and he's you know him from uh, Mad Men. He had a recurring uh, season, you know, uh, every season of Mad Men. He's he's uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Series regular. Um, he's great. He's great. And it's all it's very. I don't know. I'm gonna stop talking about it now because <laughs> I, I, I love I loved it. I really loved it. That's cool, yeah. man. Yeah. Um, also, I'm still playing The Witness, which is really cool too. <laughs> I did, it, it could have literally been your favorite game of the ever you've ever played, but no, there was no way you could mention anything else you've been playing and have me believe it that you like it. <laughs> and The Witness <laughs> is still is still the greatest game I've ever played. Whatever. Uh, here's the storm had a big update with the new new character Li Ming, which is really cool, but I won't talk about that. Um, again, I don't I don't feel like I went off and, and said it was the greatest game ever. I think Firewatch is is one of my favorite games of the year already, but it. It it's what's wonderful is it's like this little gem of a small experience. And I and I think that's the important thing to take away. It's like it's not gonna blow your mind, but it's gonna take you on a in a place that video games don't usually take you. And I think that's cool. I have to well, be I'm honest, a... I really wish that every video game was eight to ten hours. Yeah. Me too. But that's because we that's because we want to play everything. And not everybody's like us. Some people want to just buy one thing and play it for six months, and that's fine too. You know, and the fact that they can with games like, you know, Witcher and Fallout is a good thing. Valid point. Um, I want to get to tabletop time, but I, I like this this email, and I don't want to keep pushing it off because it's about a topic we talked about a few weeks ago, and I'm interested to get Chris's take. Um, oh boy. So- it's not about unions, right? <laughs> no. uh, that's funny funny callback though uh this is an email sent to us uh dlc feedback at gmail.com um from kari taylor i hope i'm pronouncing that right kari or kari taylor um 
it's a little long, but I, I think it's interesting because it's about a, the, another email that we talked about. And I, I like this ongoing conversation about using uh, detective mode and other modes in games. Uh, we talked about a while back. So here we go. He says, hey, Jeff Christian, this is my first time writing into feedback. Uh, I just had to toss my two cents in for once. Well, I think it's admirable that someone would like to go through Rise of the Tomb Raider, Arkham Knight, and The Witcher 3 without using their trademark instinct or detective or sensing modes. As someone who has played those games extensively, there are some items, locations, and missions in those games that I would have found nearly impossible to complete without the minimap or instinct modes. Both Rise of the Tomb Raider and Witcher 3 feature many hidden underground caves that, without those abilities or mini-maps, would take incredible luck to stumble upon, or several more hours of ca- uh, careful searching to find, and even with those aids fully enabled, I found myself ultimately getting frustrated and looking up an online fact or YouTube video in order to complete the mission or quest. Many of us don't have the kind of time or patience to make an already difficult mission harder especially when the game is already an overwhelming open-world monster chock full of secrets to begin with. I also take offense at the misinformed idea that people that use these modes are somehow stupid, lazy, or breaking the immersion of the game. First of all, the developers put these modes in as part of the game's design, not simply as a crutch in order to not frustrate the majority of their audience. They are an intended part of the game, and in most cases, it's up to players whether they want to use them or not. Second... When they are stepping into the virtual boots of a superhuman like Batman, Lara Croft, or Gerald, uh, we are assuming the role of someone with perception, senses, instincts, intellect, and experience much, much deeper than our own. And these powers are meant to represent the great divide. I'm not against someone who wants to enhance the immersion of a game by not using certain tools the game provides, but this is definitely not realistic for those of us with limited time and patience and certainly not for completionists who may never manage to come across that last bag of loot or Witcher gear diagram completely on their own. Anyway, uh, uh, perhaps as a casual, temporary dalliance, just to make things interesting, but for the whole game, where these tools are part of the game's design, that's crazy talk. So, what do you guys think about this? This debate about using or not using uh, the senses in these games as a a way to Im- increase immersion. What do you think, Chris? Um, well, I so I made a commitment to myself in 2015 that I've extended to 2016, and that commitment is to play every game that I play on easy. <laughs> okay, um, and why is that? To increase your enjoyment of the game and, and lower your frustration? A hundred percent. I mean, it, for me, video games are something that is, is an escape. I want it to continue to be an escape. Um, I. Uh, you know, I, I really think that, that what this comes down to is is our, you know, when when we all play video games, g- gamers, quote unquote, play video games, it, it's we have a shared experience of that game and we're able to talk about it and we're ha- able to have podcasts about it and, you know, all those things. But at the end of the day, those experiences are still subjective, right? And and I think you come to a game with your own personal context. So for me, like, I want to, um, I want to be immersed. I want to be uh sort of in in a fantastical setting whatever that may be and i don't want to get frustrated i'm not going to a game to uh to challenge my intellect right or challenge my ability i'm going to a game to enjoy the mechanics enjoy the enjoy the design that type of thing and so for me um the idea of purposely making a game harder sounds terrible 
that said, like, I think there are people that, that do find enjoyment from those things. So it's, I, I think the writer here, the, the email writer here, it does a really good job of, of, you know, thinking critically about why is this important is, you know, th these tools that the game designers have put in for the user to use is, is part of what makes this product. Um, and that's great. I, like, I, I think I tend to agree with him. Um, but I also do think that there's nothing wrong with somebody trying to put a twist on it. I mean, it's the same way that we as kids would like take a game like kickball and, you know, make imaginary rules. Like I, I love when players take a game's design and then iterate on it for themselves. You think you see it a lot more in board games than you do in video games, honestly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. What do you think about this, Christian? I, I think it's a nice email to come after our, you know, your praise of Firewatch and then us all saying we want our games to be eight hours because we like to play everything. And I, I think there's room for both in the world. And I tend to agree more with this email than the idea of, you know, experiencing the world without any of it. And my argument for that last time was that the worlds aren't um, graphically or, or the computer processing isn't there yet to give me real life cues of this paint can I can't pick up and this paint can I can pick up until I can literally interact with everything. Um, I think games often will employ some form of uh, notification or prompting to tell me that this is what I need to do because they are telling me a story even in a vast open world game like a Skyrim or Fallout, you know, there still is a construct of a world and a story that they're leading me through in some form or fashion, be it uh, help coming from the right side of my, you know, headphones or whatever, and it pulls me that way, or the sun setting over here and it's beautiful and now I look over there, or detective mode. I do agree, though, with the prior email that an over-reliance on it does become annoying and can often pull you out of a game because you find yourself playing the game just to beat it instead of to enjoy it. And where I feel like that breaks the most for me is a game that is very hand-holdy. I thought um, this year's Call of Duty was very much that way, where it was like constantly giving you the reticle where to go, 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 where to go. And then there were just one or two instances in it where that went away. And it's because you were in a large, it turned out, you were in a large... Um, sandboxy kill zone kind of thing like supposed to present like their take on like a halo big open map you can flank and do things or whatever but I got to the first one and I got frustrated because I was like what where's the thing I'm, where's the switch I'm supposed to hit it's an endless wave of enemies I I've been doing this for four hours I come to ex oh it's different now screw you game <laughs> um, but I, I play more as as this email lays things out than I do turning it off and uh, I enjoy I enjoy those features in games because it makes me feel smarter than the game <laughs> yeah. which is a nice treat it's interesting uh, I think I would have a difficult time using the self-discipline to keep those modes off or not utilizing those modes when the shiny red button is right there for me to push to just show me where I need to go next um, I, I do tend to spam those modes, especially in something like Rise of the Tomb Raider. I was constantly spamming, well, where's the little bit of thing? I, where's the tree branch that I can grab or the thing that I can hold on to? Uh, but, but they are opt-in. You know, that, that is an opt-in thing, and you can choose to use it or choose not to use it. So, I, I, you know, I, I agree that he says, yeah, it's, it's the designers put it in. If you want an example of a game that doesn't use that at all, I would point you to The Witness. Now, The Witness is not for everybody. It does require you to use your brain, but it 
is the opposite of hand-holding. It is the opposite of detective mode or special sense mode. You are, you're not even sure what is important and what's not important. And it is just by wandering around using your actual brain and your actual cognitive detective skills, your deduction of, of uh, you know, what you've done before and what you're able to do now and, and how you learned the sort of vocabulary of these mazes that lets you progress in the game. And I find that experience thrilling. I find that experience totally unique and interesting. And, and yes, a lot of people this week have said, oh, it's like Myst or like Riven, like those old throwbacks to those old games. Absolutely it is. But it, it does enough of its own twist. And it we don't have that so much anymore where you are asked to rely entirely on yourself or you know jump ship and go to GameFAQs or whatever, or YouTube. I, which I I have not yet done in in the in the witness because I am enjoying that feeling of satisfaction when I come up to something that seems impossible and I deduce how to get it done myself. It is extraordinary. So I can certainly relate to our previous emailer who said you know that feeling enhances his satisfaction of completing those games when he he really does feel like it's his skill rather than a approximation of some superhuman skill you know our this uh, kari taylor here says well it's an approximation of a uh, batman's superhuman abilities yes and i think that's absolutely useful and absolutely appropriate but to sub that out and use my abilities in in exchange i think i can totally understand how that will be very satisfying because of the witness i just love that there's an option either way like that you, absolutely you as a player get to choose how you want to play this game Anyway, it's a really interesting ongoing discussion, and I like both sides of it. I, I would take issue a little bit with uh, uh, Kari saying that our last emailer uh, implied that it was stupid or lazy. I, I don't think he was saying that either. I just think that he was saying, uh, you know, he found more enjoyment by limiting himself to not using those things. So I don't think there was any insult intended. But moving on, um, let's uh, let's carve out a little bit of tabletop time, shall we? Right now, right now. Chris, are you playing any board games lately? Um, I have not, man. Dude, I've uh, unfortunately been really busy um, with work stuff and, and travel and trying to lock down a, um, a board game night has been difficult. However... I, you know what? I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to switch it up. I did recently make a purchase that have made board games more interesting for me. Ooh. And that is I bought a cabin in the woods. You bought a cabin in – like a, a literal cabin yeah, in the like woods? A, a literal cabin in the woods. Not man. a DVD and, of the movie Cabin in the Woods. No, no. <laughs> um, yeah, we bought – You bought a retreat that you yes. can go to and play board games in. That's exactly right. Um, I want to go to there. <laughs> So um, I'm putting together uh, – this actually comes from – I don't know if you guys – well, Jeff, you've been on Gamers with Jobs. Um, uh, many times. Uh, I'm a huge fan of that podcast, and um, they've talked about – In Rabbit. fact, I have, I have earned myself – I'm very proud of this. I have earned myself a, a spot in Sean Sands' XCOM 2 character list. He did all the Gamers with Jobs uh, regular contributors, and I am a person that hopes to survive in his XCOM 2 team. And you can actually download his team. I think you can share them in XCOM 2, which is really cool. 
That's anyway, awesome. Sorry to interrupt. Um, no, but I got I really got inspired by their rabbit con um, that they do every year, and uh, so I, I, this year my goal is to do a, a bird con where I get a bunch of friends. Probably like yeah, we can actually fit like twenty people in this cabin and take three days and just play a ridiculous amount of board games. So that's not a cabin. That's a mansion that happens well, to be located it's... in the woods. <laughs> uh, bunk beds help, but um, I. So my question to you guys is: is like, you know, where? And and also in Cincinnati, you know, in in uh, Los Angeles, we have Game House, which is a, a coffee uh, coffee yeah. shop slash board game place. Um, and in Cincinnati, there's one opening called The Rook. And uh, my question: There's a you, great one in uh, There's a great one in Toronto as well called Snakes and Lattes. Yes. Yeah. Um, but where is so? Where is your ideal spot to play board games? That's a great question. You know, uh, when you're talking about a cabin in the woods, which by the way, I want. I seriously would love to to join you on a trip there. Um, for uh, my old co-host on the Totally Rad Show, Alex Albrecht's uh, bachelor party, we did that exact thing. We rented a cabin up in Big Bear, and everybody, all his uh, all his bachelors, you know, party went up there, and I actually uh, DM'd a custom game of of Dungeons and Dragons that I made specifically for him. That was like all about. Um, uh, it was all about achieving or finding the ring of crippling commitment or something like that. Uh, and we, we all played uh, D&D like all weekend up at this cabin. And it was amazing because you're you're separated from the rest of the world. You're in this place where that's all you're there to do and everybody can focus on it and relax. Um, so I'm envious of, of your situation. I think that's, uh, that is an ideal place to play a board game. But um, I, I can't think of anything better than that. That just seems so perfect. Spicer, how about you? Is there any particular place that you love to play board games? No, not. Re- I mean, close. <laughs> with with, I mean, it it it's with food and good friends because, and hopefully, a place where you can stretch out if you need to. Because I find that a lot of games take a decent amount to play. So hopefully, you have enough. You're not cramming ten people into a around a little tiny table or something like that. But I don't I don't play enough games to have like a and this is where I shall play games. Like, don't get me wrong. I'd love to come to Mansion in the Woods, but I will bring my Vita or 3DS. I'll bring my PS4. <laughs> Who am I kidding? <laughs> I'm telling you, man, Midwest uh, real estate prices. That's that's yeah. the way to go. Oh, um, man. I'm envious. That is really, really cool. Uh, but, yeah, I just bought Codenames. I haven't had a chance to play it. I'm super stoked to, to check it out. Yo, man, I've raved about that on this show over and over. It is the perfect game to bring out with 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 uh, people who don't think that they like board games because it's it's a party game. It plays infinite number of people. You just need two teams, and everybody gets it. It's a it's really easy to describe, explain, and everybody gets it. And I I have literally had no no time when I've brought this out where somebody we played it once and they go oh, okay every single time they're like oh can we play that again oh I I think I get it now can we do it again and you know it plays so quick that sure easy. Um, you know, another thing that I brought to mind, another of my fantasies, like the cabin in the woods idea, <laughs> is something you don't find here in L.A. very often or in California at all, for that matter. It's the furnished basement. The furnished basement to me is like the perfect board gaming space where there's no there's no natural light. You're down. <laughs> you're down in a in a cave that you can, you know, create and, and have be 
soundproof and ah, it's just so perfect down there in the in the furnished basement. I just I've never lived in a place that had one and I've always always envied it. I have bad news. I have one of those too and it's pretty great. You're living the dream, Chris. <laughs> living the dream. I but I have no time. I mean, this is the problem is I have no time to to use either of those facilities at the moment. Ugh. Well, yeah. That's that's the that's the rub, right? That's the thing we we all need more time, of. Time, energy, money. You can only pick yeah. two. Isn't that how uh, it works? Yeah, exactly. Um, so a uh, game that I wanted to talk about is a game I actually uh, purchased on Kickstarter because Kickstarter for board games still works. It's <laughs> still, still not broken. Um, it's a game called Between Two Cities. And the reason I picked this up is because uh, it plays a large number of people, which tends to be games. I, games get to the table more for me when they can play a large number of people because uh, it's rare that I only have you know, four. I either have two, being myself and my wife, to play a board game, or I have like six or seven. So this plays up to seven people, and it plays quickly at that number. Usually if I have a large number of people, it means that the game length bloats uh, because there's more people making decisions. But all of the decisions that happen in between two cities happen at the same time, so it doesn't matter how many people you play. It doesn't make it last any longer. Uh, It's similar to a game called Seven Wonders that people might be familiar with. In that uh, you are drafting tiles um, and handing them in various patterns to people on either side of you. And the, the, the trick here is that you're building a city in a 4 by 4 grid out of these tiles. But you're actually building two cities. You're building a city with the person on your left of you. And you're building a city in conjunction with the person on the right of you. So you're both teaming up because you're sitting in a circle. Uh, to make cities on either side of you with two different partners. So you're drafting tiles and trying to lay them down in patterns that will score points because certain buildings in your city will score points based on their position with other buildings. So maybe if, if you get a lot of buildings in a straight line, they'll score, or certain types of buildings, if you have more of them uh, in one city than another, it'll score more, etc. So you're making these decisions on which cities to put into which which uh, which buildings to put into which cities on either side of you. And when you get to the end of the game, your your final score is the lower of the two cities. So you're building cities and you need to score them high on both sides of you because your highest score will be thrown out and it's only your lowest score that wins. So it tends to be the case that uh, you there will only be one winner, but if there are um, there's you know rules for ties as well. It's really clever. It plays really quickly. You can get a, a game done in like 20 minutes, and it plays up to seven people. It's not super complex. It, you can teach it really easily. Uh, just the sort of rules of what the buildings do is, is the only thing to digest, and they all are printed with those rules on them. It's not a particularly beautiful game, and it's not a particularly deep strategic game, but it is fun because it's this weird version of cooperation and competitiveness at the same time because you are literally cooperating with people on both sides of you, but you don't want you want to keep an eye on what they're doing on their other side because you you know you want to give a high score, but you want to make sure that both your cities are a high score. Really clever, very different, very interesting, and it fits in to a specific use case that I find very rare, which is a relatively quick-playing game that a lot of people can play at once. Again, it's called Between Two Cities. Sounds awesome. Yeah, it's a good one. It's, you know, it's, it didn't blow me away, but it's, uh, 
it's interesting enough and it plays quickly enough that uh, you know it's definitely going to stay in my collection to just sort of be that game that I can bring out with a lot of people and play real quick and sort of you know a filler or a an introductory game to get people interested in in a, a, a long night. Jeff, have you started curating your collection at all? Is it is it blossoming a little too much yet? Oh yeah, no, I it, it is spilled out. I have uh, I have outgrown all of my shelving units. I have several shelving units, and now I have stuff on the floor. I don't know how to get rid of board games. Honestly, I don't know how what to do with the ones that I'm like, well, this doesn't need to stay in my collection. I have several like that where I'm I'm sort of ready to get rid of them, but I don't. Like back when Christian and I were doing double jump, I could just bring stuff and give it to people and that would be great. But I don't know I don't want to mail things to people because that costs money and I, I don't know I don't know about like going on eBay and selling stuff. That doesn't sound interesting to me. I don't know how to get rid of board games, but there's it, it's it's a problem. It's pushing me out of my own office. So I don't know what to do. I'm in the same boat and I d I don't have an easy answer either. So if somebody's listening and they have um a good idea, please send it. Yeah. Agreed. All right, guys, uh, that's going to wrap up this episode. This is a fun one. Uh, we do have our parting gift coming up, so stay tuned for that. But uh, Chris Bergman, thank you so much for hopping in and doing the show. Oh, we man. love having you, man. It's always My fun. My pleasure. Yeah, always fun to hang out with you guys. So uh, we, I was a, a bit remiss, and I didn't really tell people what Chore Monster is, but why don't you tell people how they can keep up with you and what Chore Monster is and how they can find out more about that. Yep. Uh, chore Monster will make your kids beg to do chores. Kids gain points, tournament for life rewards um, that you set up as a parent. Um, and then they collect over 120 different monsters um, that we've created. We also work with uh, Disney, Pixar, Fox Studios, Warner Brothers. Um, I know I'm forgetting some other uh, people that, that we work with. But we bring uh, whatever whatever kids' movie is happening right now. Typically, they're unlockable inside Troll Monster as well. Um, you can find me. Best place to find me is on Twitter, at uh, Chris Bergman, C-H-R-I-S-B-E-R-G-M-A-N. Um, and if you're in Cincinnati or L.A. or wherever I am, I have a rule where I will have at least one beer with anyone. So um, feel free to shoot me an email, Chris at com, if you want to hang out. That's how you know if Chris likes you or not, if he has the second That's beer. That's exactly right. <laughs> uh, Christian, how about you? What do you got going on this week? Twitter is always the best place to get a hold of me. It is at Spicer this week. If you're listening to this right when it posts, tonight at 11 p.m., I'm at uh, UCB in Los Angeles, UCB Franklin. Um, Wednesday night, I'm doing a show in Burbank called Smooth Moves. I'm mostly in L.A. recently. I'm doing a college show at San Luis Obispo on Saturday. Then I'll have a couple of dates coming up in San Diego. I know February 27th, I'll be at the La Jolla Comedy Store down there. And then a little further out, I'm doing a weekend at the Madhouse Comedy Club, April 1st and April 2nd. Those are the ones I can remember off the top of my head. Um, and coming soon, around Valentine's Day, so next Tuesday or whatever, um, Chris Quintos, a girl and I, who I, whom I adore, she's a fantastic writer and just a, a wonderful person. We are launching a new podcast. It is called Department of Parenting. And it's, uh, you know, a show all about parenting and kind of being parents. And we start with like a news article or story and jump off there for discussion and then wrap it, uh, wrap the show up with a listener question or so. Um, the first, you know, Hello World seeding the RSS feed episode is up. If you want to subscribe right now, it is on iTunes and wherever you find your, your podcast of choice. It is called Department of Parenting and it is a clean show. 
and that there is no swearing um, content. It's up to you to decide if you want your kids to think about like, is it okay to leave your kid alone for an hour? Like, what do you want your kid to hear that? I don't know. But it's called Department of Parenting, and uh, hopefully you'll enjoy it when it starts uh, in full swing next week. I thought you were going right to say man. it's up to you to cuss in front of your kids or not, which I do all the time. Yeah, the podcast is clean, but you can add your own uh, okay. curse words. <laughs> <laughs> Just you pause, curse, and then push play again. That's right, perfect. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, follow me on Twitter as well, uh, at Jeff Canada with two N's and one T. And um, got lots of other shows for you to check out. I got a, a technology show on CNET called Tomorrow Daily. Lots of fun there. We're always trying out new tech stuff, talking about tech stories uh, every Monday through Thursday with a big long show on Thursday. So check that out at tomorrowdaily.com. Uh, also, the Slash Filmcast, we have fun talking about movies there. You can find that at slashfilmcast.com or at slashfilm.com. And uh, my comedy science show, We Have Concerns. You can find that at weHaveConcerns.com also. Uh, all right, guys, let's jump right in to our party gift. Chris, you got a suggestion to get people through their week? Um, yeah. Uh, so my suggestion is state bicycles. So I'm actually uh, a big city biker, um, and it's starting to warm up slowly. I think we got you know a little bit longer to go, but according to the Groundhog, we're in good shape. And it's a great time to buy a new bike. And I own, well, I am Chore Monster has a fleet of about eight of these. Um, they never break down. We love them. They're easy to use. They look sexy. StateBicycleCo.com. State Bicycles. Yeah, I'm a big fan of bi- bicycling myself. We have three bikes in my little apartment uh, just kind of shoved into the bedroom. Um, I need storage for that as well. Storage! <laughs> time! These are the things we need more of. Uh, Christian, what do you got? A, you got a, you got a, you got a parting gift? I go to comics a lot because I love them. Uh, Spider-Man number one, Miles Morales has made the jump into the main Marvel U. The first book came out, uh, I think on the third, February 3rd, if that's the right day recently. And it's his first standalone number one in the mainline Marvel universe. You had seen him in the mainline Marvel universe where, um, the all new, all different Avengers book had launched, which is also okay. But it's, you know, so many characters and um, I've loved Miles and I think it's fun to see him now in the proper comic book Marvel Universe and you can check it out. Uh, they printed a bunch. You can get a physical copy if you want or I usually do comics on Comixology now. But it's, uh, it's a well done story and I'm excited to see where the character goes. It's, ha- it's fun to have a fun Spider-Man again. Oh, I agree, man. Love Miles Morales. Very, very fun. Uh, I'm also going to do a comic. I, you probably heard me mention this briefly last week on our live Pack South show because our guest Scott Kurtz was here. I picked up his book that he's just come out with uh, for Table Titans and man, it's so great. So the concept behind Table Titans, by the way, Scott is a cartoonist and he has done PvP for many years. Table Titans is sort of a spinoff of PvP. Uh, so this is a, a sort of graphic novel compilation of the online webcomic, but it's beautiful. It's a large format. I'm flipping through it right now looking at it. Large format, gorgeous, full-color art. Uh, I really love Scott's art. I think it's so so cool. Such great characters. And the idea behind Table Titans is that it's a group of people that get together and play Dungeons & Dragons or online role-playing, or not online, um, tabletop role-playing games. 
And uh, it's their adventures as gamers and then jumping into their characters' adventures at the same time. Uh, It's funny. It's heartwarming. It's wonderful, 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 wonderful. So the the first – their first book, it's called First Encounters of Table Titans, is available uh, probably at at his website, which is uh, PvP Online, I believe. Um, Do a search. Scott Kurtz, K-U-R-T-Z. Uh, Table Titans. I can't recommend it higher. It's great. He's he's a friend, yes, but it's a really high quality product that you should check out. I should say that uh, it one it is pvponline.com, uh, and two I've actually been reading that comic since two thousand one. Um, oh, PvP. Yeah, he's been at yeah. it for a long time. And Table Titans is amazing. I picked it up. I I got the Kickstarter. I also got the Dungeon Master uh, blind, or I don't know what you would call that, but the thing that hides your dice is the yeah, DM, which is really dope. yeah, yeah. The uh, what's it called? A uh, I can't remember. Table shield or something like that. Anyway, um, yeah, the, the, this this um, graphic novel also has a bunch of bonus content, including sort of behind the scenes of of you know the making of this this comic, and also it's got a great thing in the back where it has people that wrote in and told great stories about tabletop gaming, just like emails that he got from fans of telling these epic tales that happened when they were playing and just that is worth the price of admission alone. So, um, yeah, definitely, definitely worth checking out table Titans. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Uh, thanks to Chris Bergman, Christian Spicer. Uh, thanks to our awesome musicians, Sean Madigan, Patrick L. Uh, thanks to, uh, sorry, we weren't live this week. Um, the, vicissitudes of the world uh, you know it, it happens that way sometimes but hopefully we'll be back next week live and you can hang out with us at 11 a.m pacific time on monday uh thanks to everybody that downloaded the show we really appreciate it tell your friends we uh we love that way of finding out about the show until next time think about what you put out into the world make it a better place 